I got a sense that this is one of those messages that uh, is going to ripple uh, across time. And what I mean by that is it's not just for us who are in the room today. I'm grateful that years ago the Lord provided financial resource to the church in order that we could purchase the equipment and set everything up and learn how to push the buttons so that the interweb becomes our mission field. So I'm speaking directly to the camera now and saying, if you're watching this in a time in the future, then be excited that I've got a sense this word is for your time. God's word is timeless. And I also want to say thanks to those of you that gave testimony uh, about uh, God's generosity, God's provision, God seeing you and meeting your needs, um, because truly, that's the theme of the series that we've been in called Windows of Heaven. You can see it on the screen, and uh, today is the final message in the series. I have to start with a confession, though, and I have to say that I am a, a believer, I'm a proponent of, I'm a supporter in uh, what is commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel. And before you get your pitchforks out, I would just like to point you to the scripture um, as my evidence, because as Dan just so eloquently shared, um, God is our redeemer. When you were worth nothing, he saw you as worth everything. It says in Ephesians, for God so rich in mercy loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. God gave everything for you. God gave everything so you could have life like Jesus had. That, to me, is the definition of prosperity. The Bible is full of evidence that God has your goodness at the depth of his heart, and he's constantly working his way into your life so that he can be demonstrated through your life as a testimony of his goodness. That, to me, sounds like prosperity. I'm not into uh, white shoes uh, and, uh, and jet planes and asking you to give uh, to my ministry. That's not the prosperity gospel I'm supporting. What I am supporting is the evidence that God cares about us and he desires to see us walk in partnership with him. And so I say that as a confession, not to turn you off, but to hopefully get you excited about what God's going to speak through his word today. And I am excited because I chose to title this message months ago, Abundance Beyond Imagination. I'm creating uh, an expectation in this message that there is so much that God has for us if we would step into partnership with Him. And the windows of heaven are the key for us in how we step into that partnership, and I hope you see it in the Scriptures today. The key passage for this series, uh, if you've been uh, tracking along with us, and if you're uh, if you've got a chance to check it on YouTube, we've got a series on our channel called Windows of Heaven. There are uh, five messages there. There's a bunch of worksheets that you can have access to. But the key message is from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. And uh, we're going to read it together. It seems to be a theme today that we're reading things together, repeating things together. So let's read this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, says God. 
We're going to unpack this verse again today uh, in a minute, very briefly. Uh, but before we do that, I want to uh, point you to uh, perhaps a warning or two. Because any time we talk about money in the church, uh, someone gets their heckles up, or uh, someone has, a, has a, a, a teaching that they hang on, or someone has a, a principle they're living by that's actually not working for them, but they prefer to hang on to it. And um, I say this out of experience. Um, many of you know my past um, since, I was thinking about this morning, I've been teaching people about money since last century. That's how old I am. Not for a century, but since last century. Um, and I have been in churches all over New Zealand. I have spoken across the world. I have run community seminars, written books about this. I have um, worked, helped families through the hardest financial times. Uh, and I've also helped families uh, to be successful financially. And so I say a lot of these things from the background of my experience. But there are some warnings that I need to give us. Because money's one of those weird aspects of our faith walk that can mess us up. And uh, I don't want you to get messed up. So here's the, first, here's the first warning. You can't give to get, but you reap what you sow. This is an oxymoron. That's weird. God's got this upside-down kingdom, which doesn't always make sense. And I don't want to teach anything that would make you think that you could give money in order to get money. But Jesus himself said, you need to sow in order to reap. In fact, Paul said, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. So it's a biblical principle that sowing is part of our lifestyle, but you can't give to get. What about this one? You can't control outcomes, but your hand reveals your heart. Jesus said, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. It's an oxymoron to me that you shouldn't think you're in control of your life. God is the author of all things. And yet, what we do reveals our motives. And this one I've been saying for years. You can have money. It's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. In a practical sense, I used to teach people to be a master over their money so that their money was not the master over them. Jesus said it this way in the scriptures. If you're looking, it's on the screen. But for those listening, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is something that represents a love of money. Money is not evil. But the love of money is what corrupts us. And Jesus is saying, you know, we need to keep our attention on what God is doing, but let's make sure we serve him first. The Proverbs have much to say about this. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I've seen situations where people have become more attached to what God has given them than to God himself. And I only have to remind you of the, uh, the people that came out of Israel who plundered, sorry, people came out of Egypt, Egypt, they plundered Egypt. They were given gold and earrings and statues and all sorts of other things. God blessed them as he sent them out of captivity. 
and not far down the road. What did they do with their gold? They mounted it down and made it into a golden calf and they bowed down and worshipped it. See, God does want to bless us. But if we take that blessing and make it an idol, our heart is revealed. This next one I found really challenging in Proverbs 24, verse 12. is Don't excuse yourself by saying, hey, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. What does it say to me? It says we've got to be really careful how we live and conduct ourselves with regards to our finances. And saying we didn't know, God says otherwise. And finally, a solution. I thought we would, we would, we would flip it into a positive because I was, I was thinking and praying into this this past three weeks. I feel like there's a whole lot of anxiety that comes up when we start talking about money. People start worrying, they get anxious, or they think, what's, what's going on? There's a false motive here. And Paul writes to the church, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Here's the key for us, guys. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. So if you're feeling stirred or upset, if you're not sure what's going on, this scripture is our answer. This scripture says, come back and tell God what you need. Come back and bring yourself before God. And, and look, praying is the key to experiencing peace. Praying is simply a conversation with God. His peace comes and His peace guards your heart. God is trying to bring us to a place where we check our heart in order that we would be able to guard our heart. And His peace is the key to that. So money, open heaven, what does all this mean? We're looking at Malachi chapter 3. So what I want to do is I want to break this down. We can just see how God gives us instruction. And then I've got a, a testimony that's going to be shared. And, uh, and then we're going to look at the windows of heaven. The key outcome today being looking at the windows of heaven. So Malachi chapter 3. It's about revealing God's nature in order that we would see his intent. This is the key point for today. If we would see God's nature in Scripture, we would begin to understand what he wants to do. And we see this in Malachi chapter 3. There are four simple things in this verse that I want to talk about. Firstly, there's a command. And when we read Scripture and we see God command us to do something, we need to make sure we don't consider it an invitation. There's a difference between an invitation and a command. And the beginning of this verse is most definitely a command. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. The reference there to the temple is that people would tithe, they would bring in their crops, they would bring in some meat, they would bring in provision, and it would be stored in the house of God in order for the provision for God's people and those that were working in the temple. So God brings a command, bring your tithe into the storehouse. And there have been other messages that have spoken about what the tithe means. And then I find it interesting, in this verse, God brings in what's called a condition, a condition. So that's a, if you're into um, 
spreadsheets, which I know probably two of you are, um, it would be an if-then statement. If you do this, then that will happen. That's a condition, all right? There's three people in the room that like Excel. Excellent. Uh, myself excluded. Um, so, so conditional. So God says, if you're doing this, then I will do something. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So it's kind of like he's saying, well, come on. I want to partner with you. I'm giving you a command, but it's a partnership, and I'm, in, I'm bringing you into it. And the condition is relating to the promise. God says, if you do this, then the promise will apply. What is the promise? This is where we find the meat of this verse. God says two things. Firstly, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I want to unpack that for us this morning. Secondly, God says, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. I mean, if I was you, I would just read that literally. Don't worry about interpretation. Don't worry about language. Don't worry about anything else. Read it literally. God is saying, firstly, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And secondly, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. That is going to be interesting when we come back and look at it. But first, uh, I was really excited this week uh, to see Richard ring me uh, early in the morning. Um, he was clearly at work, but I wasn't. Um, but I answered the phone because Richard and I have got a lot we're, di- we're dialoguing about. And he was just bursting with a testimony. Um, and so I've, I've invited him to share it today because it's just so relevant to the context of God opening the windows of heaven. So Rich, will you come and would you share that testimony? It would be really encouraging for us. Thanks, Phil. Um, and thanks for picking up the call I didn't expect you to pick up in the morning, and it would have been too long a message to listen to. <laughs> um, we're on a bit of a journey breeding special sheep. Um, they're considered to be the cutest sheep in the world. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh, oh right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, they are, <laughs> they've stolen my heart. <laughs> but anyway, there's, there's a commercial aspect to this. We've got a small block of land and um, we thought, well, hey, let's, you know, try something financial. Had to invest um, significant money in it to get started. Um, but, uh, you know, when you start to get breeding sheep and we're trying to build up a nucleus flock with embryo transfer, we, we realise we can do our best, but it's God who opens the womb. It's, it's God who brings forth the life. Uh, and we have a breeding objective in the first year to... Um, uh, get a, a flock of ewes that we can grow from. And rams are essentially a bit like a byproduct, I guess. You know, that was, they weren't our target. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the first one was born, um, I don't know, about three weeks ago, and, and it was a ram lamb. And um, it, it wasn't perfectly marked. So these animals have, have um, black faces and black ears, and, and if, if breeders are looking for you know, top-ranked ones, they also meant to have spots on their knees and on their hocks. Well, this, this one didn't have spots on his hocks. But I, I, rang, I rang an experienced breeder, and he, he, said, he said, well, that's fine, but this thing's still worth between two and three grand. And I thought, yeah, and that's what I thought. <laughs> this is a byproduct. Hang on. And then, then I was just reflecting, in the, in, just in the service now, I was having this conversation with God, and I actually felt, felt a little bit like Jacob. Uh, we, our eldest son is named Jacob, but, you know, the spotted sheep and the whatever. Um, and I felt moved 
to give this lamb to the storehouse. And um, in the conversation, oh, the whole lamb? Yes, the whole lamb. That, that's what came up. Anyway, uh, I was, uh, lovely to hear Dan, so you said, so I did that. And, and that's, that's the, the path we followed. Well, um, uh, what happened next was that since then there have been three perfect ram lambs born, each of them worth more than the car I'm driving out there, not that my car's worth a lot. <laughs> we haven't had our girls yet, so God's full of surprises. Sometimes things are different to how you think they played out. But I just feel like there's this dam here, and tithing is like we're holding, like the boy in the dike, holding our hand across this hole, and there's a whole lot bursting out behind it. And, and he's just speaking to me and, and speaking to us, and I'm just so in awe of who he is and, and how he loves us. And, and, of course, we all share in the perfect lamb who is of absolutely inestimable value. Mm, that's me. Thanks, mate. Yeah, like that's a testimony of floodgates. You know, the picture um, that uh, Richard gave testimony to that Phil Brown shared in an early message was when God says, I will open the windows of heaven, one translation says windows, but another translation says floodgates. Now, the picture of a floodgate opening, if you're at Hooker Falls, is a significant gush of water. And uh, Richard didn't do as good a job today, unfortunately, as, as sharing the testimony as he did on the phone the other day, because he was gushing. He was gushing down the phone with the extravagance of God's provision in their breeding program. And that's what we've got to have an understanding of. When God says, I want to open the windows, when I want to open the floodgates, it's something you can't contain because you don't want to stand and try and stop Hooker Falls when it gets opened. It won't go well for you. But that's the point. God says he's going to open the floodgates. Thank you for sharing that, Rich. And, and finally, in Malachi chapter 3, remember we had, the, we had the command, we had the condition, we had the promise, and finally, there is an invitation, but it's a strange one. And it's one of the only times in Scripture you see this, when God says, come on, put me to the test. Try me out on my promise. See if I'm faithful to what I've said to you. And the invitation is, will you be willing, because God certainly turned up and He is willing, so what I want to do is I want to understand where we would position ourselves in this way because, because I don't need to go on about the behavior that God is asking us to do, but I'm trying to find the motivation in the human heart because my key point today, I'm going to keep putting this slide up, is that God's nature, meaning who He is, proves His intent to bless us. God's nature proves His intent to open the floodgates. God's nature is dependable. So don't trust the outcome, trust God. Don't trust what you're believing for, trust the God who gives the promise. I always say to people when they come to me with a, with a really cool prophetic word or a promise God's given them, I'm saying, that's awesome, but don't, don't start worshiping the promise. Make sure you turn back the praise to the one who gave the promise. And that's my point in saying this. Trust God's nature, but it will prove his intent. What I want to point you to this morning is an understanding of what it means to, to have windows of heaven open above us. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Uh, we have it sometimes in this building, um, which is one of the reasons why we're moving. Um, Lake, Lake Espresso over there, uh, unfortunately, we wear gumboots when we make coffee. 
particularly after rain. But what I want to talk about is what does it mean, the windows of heaven? This is a biblical phrase. It's way, the way God is thinking, and I want to try and invite you into the way that God thinks. So let's, let's have a look at this. It says, the windows of heaven is God's reality changing ours. God wants to come and change our world. I mean, I don't know if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer and focused on the words when you're praying it, but we pray, thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in Did anyone remember that? Okay, you're looking at me a bit blank. Come on, help me out here. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God's reality comes to change our reality, and that's what windows of heaven is all about. And I want to expose you to that today and hopefully give you some inspiration. Uh, Let's start with Genesis, because um, unfortunately, God's reality changing our reality doesn't always go the way we might hope. In Genesis 6... God said, I'm really upset with the way things are going. I'm going to wipe out the earth and I'm going to start again. And he actually did. Have you ever heard of Noah and the ark? You know the story well. Well, um, the floods come, the earth gets um, cleaned, wiped clean, and Noah and his family in the boat with some animals. But if you look at Genesis 8, it says that God decided to shut the windows of heaven that the floods would recede. So when God opens the windows, it could also bring judgment. His reality changing our reality. Now, now we know that there's a promise. There's a rainbow in the sky that says, God said, I will never again flood the earth and wipe out humanity. That's good news for you and me. But opening the windows of heaven and inviting God's reality brings God's judgment. And Proverbs 24 said it very, very clearly. God says, I see what you do and I know what you know. And I will judge you accordingly. But remember this, and I've said this many times, I'm going to say it for the rest of my life. God's judgment doesn't imply God's condemnation. God's judgment is an invitation to repentance in order that we can partner with him. If you don't respond to what he's saying, ultimately you write your own future. But never ever think that God's judgment automatically defines you to condemnation. It's not how God works, because God's nature reveals his intent. His intent is not to destroy you. His intent is to lift you into his reality. Okay, that was the bad news. Here's the good news. In Genesis 15, we find Father Abraham. It starts in Genesis 12. It's a wonderful story. I encourage you to read it. But as I read this this week, I, was just, I saw something new I'd like to share with you. So if you don't remember, Abraham gets a promise from God. He says, you will have a son. And he's a bit upset because he doesn't have one, and he's old. And this is in the in the in the old uh, Middle Eastern his, history books. This is how you would express your um, wealth was not just through what you owned, but through the children you had. And in, in, in Genesis 15, Abraham's saying to God, "Hey God, what's going on with the promise? Because now my servant has to be my heir. My 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 man servant has to be my heir." And God says, "No." Genesis 15, verse 4, God says to Abraham, head outside, look up into the sky at night. And the Lord said, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Here's my point. I think God is taking us to a place where he's wanting to reveal 
through the windows of heaven, his good intent for our world. Now, in this example, he was told, Abraham was told to look at the stars, which is creation. Look at creation and you will see God revealed. That is the extent of the promise God has for you. I also find scripture to be the windows of heaven. Because when I read Scripture, I find God's promise, and in God's promise, I find Him revealed, and when I find God revealed, I get to walk in His reality. Thankfully, I also have people in my world who I believe God has given me as a gift who are windows of heaven, that through their life, through their life with me, through their commitment to me, or their encouragement, or their wisdom, or their uh, discipleship, through them in my life, I get a glimpse of who God is, and the windows and the possibility of heaven are open before me. So don't think windows of heaven is just about you receiving what God's got for you. It's about glimpsing into what could be. It's about glimpsing into heaven and saying, God, would you reveal things to me? The next one is exactly the same. Oh, no, not this one. Uh, yeah, Genesis 28 is exactly the same because it's Jacob. Remember, Jacob was on a journey. Jacob had too much pizza for dinner. Jacob puts his head on a rock and has a weird dream. In that weird dream, he sees a stairway from heaven and angels going up and down on the stairway. So Genesis 28, it's a fantastic story to read, but God affirms who he is to Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And in that encounter, God confirms his promise. He opens his mind in revelation to the extent of his goodness, God's goodness, for Jacob. And Jacob says, this place is nothing but the house of God, and he called it Beth El, meaning the house of God. And he says, and I will give unto the Lord a tenth, a tithe of all that he brings to my world. Why? Because he had a revelation of what God's promise was through the windows of heaven. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is a good read. We should read this all the time. Why? Because it reminds us of what God has said over our lives. Genesis, sorry, Deuteronomy 28 is, is about living in partnership with God and understanding the fullness of the blessings that he has for us. Verse 11, the Lord will give you prosperity in the land. He swore to give your ancestors to give to you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, there you go, numerous livestock for Richard, and abundant crops. Look at this. The Lord will send rain at the proper time, where from? From his rich treasury in the heavens. And he will bless the work that you do. So you don't get to be passive in this partnership. You get to work in partnership with God, and God says, I will open the heavens, and I will pour out a blessing into your world when you choose to partner with me. 1 Kings 18 is an interesting story uh, about the prophet Elijah. Uh, in chapter 17, he has this contest on top of a mountain, um, and uh, fire comes down from heaven. It's a, it's a really cool story. But, but the end of that story is, is, is he's sitting on a hill, and he's, he's praying and the reason he's praying, for context, the reason he's praying is there's been a famine in the land because of a drought that has lasted three years. And he's the guy that said it. He's the messenger that said there'll be a drought. And he's praying, God, when will this end? And in verse 41 of First Kings 18, he says this to his servant. And this is key for some of you who are listening who are in need. 
He says this. He says, I hear the sound of an abundant rain coming. I hear the sound of an abundant rain coming. And, and, and I've been stirred by this this week. And I don't know if this is for anyone in the room or just me or someone on the, on the live stream, but I, this, I have a prophetic sense. I'm, I'm carrying this burden that's more than just my mind, it's my spirit. When I proclaim these words out of Scripture, that, that Elijah the prophet would speak to us through the Spirit of God today, and he would say this, I hear the sound of an abundant rain coming. I hear the sound of an abundant rain coming. And, and that might be financial answers for you if you're in need, but it could be um, family coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It could be the redemption of a, or reconciliation of a broken relationship. It could be um, something new that you're hoping to see um, give birth to, maybe a child or maybe a business or, or maybe a ministry that God says, I'm opening the windows of heaven. And I'm saying to you prophetically, I hear the sound of abundant rain coming. And the abundant rain is the provision of God in your world. And uh, I, for one, I'm saying yes and amen to that. I mean, you're allowed to prophesy of yourself, so I'm going to. 2 Kings chapter 7. Interestingly, this verse here, if you want a reference point, just want, if you just want one, this is it. Some scholars say this reference is why Malachi used the phrase windows of heaven. Some would say that. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but... In all of the scriptures, this is the one the scholars say quotes it. The people in Israel are under, um, in those days they called it under siege. So the enemy would surround them and they would camp around them so they couldn't go out to get food. And they would just literally sit there. And so you're in captivity in your own home, but you can't go to the crops, you can't go to the fields, you can't go to your livestock. And so you eat everything you've got in the cupboard and then you get hungry. And so for three years, they were in this place. Three years. And so this siege becomes a famine. And, and it's, it's so bad that one lady says to another lady, hey, look, let's eat your son today. And tomorrow, we'll eat your, my son. This is how desperate times were. And the king of Israel is, is, is um, lamenting, he's tearing his robe, he's upset, and, and, and he's, he's blaming it all on Elisha, because he's saying, well, Elisha, it's your fault, because you prophesied this, and he says, I wish I could have Elijah's head on a stick, and then Elijah, Elisha, hears the word of the Lord, in the beginning of 2, two Kings uh, chapter 7, he said, uh, tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, in 24 hours, the markets of Samaria will be so flush with product that flour will be one piece of silver and 10 quarts of barley, like a sack of barley grain will only cost you one piece of silver. Like in 24 hours, it's going to be such a turnaround that there'll be so much that, that almost like food has no value. They'll be giving it away because there's so much of it. And the guy that's, that's holding the king Stand, yeah, it's like his assistant. He says this. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. God can't do it. That's what the king's assistant says. And Elisha says, well, it will happen, but you won't see it because you'll be dead. 
It's a really cool story. I'm not going to get into it, but I would encourage you to read 2 Kings 7 and see the extravagance of God's provision because in 24 hours, there was so much that they had as their provision in a remarkable way. And I won't spoil the story for you because it's actually worth a good read. But it's such a radical story of provision because God said, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out such a blessing into your world that will change your reality so much so that you can't contain it. It's the best example I can find of Malachi 3 and verse 10. And so so what am I saying with all these verses? What I'm saying is God wants to open the storehouse that's in heaven, His goodness, and He wants to pour it out into your world to change your reality. And even if you're not sure, God wants to say amen because God's nature is so good that he wants to prove it to you. And and even when you're not good, God wants to prove that he's good. And I'm not saying you're not good, but surely in a room this size, if one or two of you are not, and and I'll put my hand up and say I'm the worst. But God is so good that even when you're not, he is. And if I had another half hour, I would unpack Psalm 78 for you. But I don't, so I'm not going to. But I'm inviting you to read it. And, 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 and I want you to look at it because, but look at it honestly. Like use it as a mirror. And, and, and in the end, I want you to see that God is really good. Because I'll give you the end of the story before I give you the, the context. In verse, it says there, especially verse 23, so Psalm 28, but actually, I'll read from um, verse 20, oh yeah, 23. <laughs> but he, God, commanded the skies to open, and he opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna, which is food, for them to eat. He gave them bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels. God gave them all they could hold. He released the east wind in the heavens and guided the south wind by his mighty power. He rained down meat as thick as dust. This is the quail. Birds as plentiful as the sand on the seashore. And he caused those birds to fall within their camp and all around their tent. And they ate as much as they could. Why? Because God opened the windows of heaven. And he said he would do it because he's good. But I ruined it for you because I didn't tell you what the people were doing. And if you read Psalm 78, and if you start at verse 10, it says this. The people did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions or his commands. They forgot what God had done, the great wonders he'd shown them, the miracles he did. Look at this, he, he divided the sea and led them through it. In the daytime, he led them by a cloud. At night, he led them by fire. He split open the rock in the wilderness to give them water from a gushing spring, and he made streams pour out from a rock, making waters flow like a river. V- verse 17, yet they kept on sinning against him, rebelling against God Most High, El Shaddai, in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. They even spoke against God himself, saying, God can't give us food. 
Because even when the people act like that, God says, I will open the windows of heaven and I'm going to prove to you how good I am. Sometimes God's goodness truly does lead people to repentance. And God's nature is so good that he desires to bring you to a place where he proves himself to you. And that's actually how I want to close the message. Um, Jackson, if you could just play, play that music. What I would like us to do, uh, Richard and I talked about this when he was sharing his testimony with me on the phone the other morning. And, and Richard said, hey, let's finish and just allow people to meditate on the Scripture. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. And so we're just going to have a time of quiet where we leave the Scripture on the screen and you have a look at it and you think about it. And I'm praying for every single one of us where we are right now that God would come and lead us and He would reveal Himself to us by His Holy Spirit. Your response to the Word of God today is personal as it stands before you.